You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday with Wayne McCurry, Portfolio Manager at FNB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Wayne, I'm going to start with macro stuff and then go on to a couple of company-specific stories. Um, sure. The euro-dollar, I mean, look at that dollar now. When I looked, it was 110. And the sensitivity of, 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 for example, precious metals is so apparent. I mean, gold, you know, without even looking, it sliced its way up through 2000. And also some nice recoveries from the platinum group metals. Has this been adequately reflected in the share prices on the JSC? Well, certainly some of the rand hedges are down a little bit. But yes, it has been reflected in the gold shares and the platinum shares other than Impala because of that accident they had. But the platinum shares have actually been going up quite nicely. Very good. Yeah, I was looking at the Anglo-Platinum uh, graph, which uh, since you alerted me to the low that it got to, which I think was about six on my graph, which is very oh, rude. 6.50. So, yeah, it actually went down to 6.30, just below 6.30 yeah, could have, yeah. intraday. And now I don't know where it is, but I mean, it's, it must be... It's 50, over 800, I think. Goodness me. So it's like 15, 20% higher. Yeah, it's it's, it's off. It, it was quite. A, it was up about four percent today, but then I then I think it's fallen back a little bit. So yes, it has rallied quite nicely. Do you think the people who say look at that tragedy at one of the Impala shafts and they say, well, this is going to take a while, uh, so we're going to switch, or hedge funds say, right, I'm going to get out of Impala and into Anglo Platinum, their nearest, uh, their nearest and bigger rival. Is that the way things work? Do you think in the short term? Uh, it's 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 possible. I mean. The the accident is of course terrible. Yes, and, and they have closed production, but I don't know. I think they've closed production on all their shafts. They wouldn't have closed the Zimbabwean production, and of course they've still got a lot of stockpile or in you know in the processing plant. So it doesn't necessarily if they stop production for however long to evaluate the situation, uh, it doesn't mean they won't make sales just that their stock will, will be a bit depleted until they can start production again. Because as far as I understand, they use the same shaft system on a lot of their shafts, but it's not entirely clear whether they've just closed that shaft or the shafts like that, and or they've closed the whole operation. It's not entirely sure. They just said we've ceased operation, but they didn't quite specify exactly where. So I assume they've cut all production in South Africa. I would have thought so, yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the right thing to yeah. do just in case the same problem could reoccur in another shaft that uh, uses the same mechanisms yeah. as, you, Look, as you quite the rightly one, say. The one thing, mm. the, one thing the, the ANC government has been very good at is, is fully enforcing the legislation around safety in mines. Yeah. Because the... Uh, the, the now... I don't know if this was 12 months to December last year or 12 months to June this year, but the last reported 12-month period, obviously without this accident, was I think 46 or 52 deaths, which is the lowest on record. Now, I can remember when I started in investments, sort of let's say early 90s, mid-90s, there were five, 600 a day, a day, a year Mm. being killed. In mines, obviously there was a lot more mining, uh, a lot more. But yes, uh, that's one thing where the government has been very good in that area. You know, enforcing the legislation, making sure there is compliance, doing the inspections, shutting the shafts, etc. 
and 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 we we have you know and I mean obviously this accident is a tragedy, but the the overall record of mine safety has improved in leaps and bounds over the last couple of decades. Yes, it is, and it does. I mean, maybe they're just playing lip service uh, to be shown to because they want to be seen to be doing good. But when you see a set of results from a minor. It starts with, pleased to tell you that with we had safety. a fatality-free yeah. six months or something like that. It's always yeah. safety first, which is good. Hmm. Hmm. They always start off with that, what L-F-I-T-R rate or something. Can't remember exactly what the acronym stands for, but it's something like that. Um, L-F-I-T-R. No, that's a new one on me. But anyway. Some, I might be wrong, but it's something like that. Okay. Well, anyway, the platinum shares and the gold shares have recovered, and a terrific recovery as well. Hopefully, this is not just a dead cat bounce and it comes back again, uh, Wayne. But you must be quite pleased with yourself. Yeah. Uh, at long last. Look, when you talk macro now, everything's falling uh, into place, I hope, as I anticipated, as we've been discussing you know, interest rates, the next move is down. In the USA, the forward curve, now I'm, in, I'm always incredibly skeptical of the forward interest rate curve yeah. because I, I, I don't think it's very accurate. Uh, but, but be that as it may, it's now discounting a full 1% cut in interest rates in the US next year. We've got the US inflation number coming out this week, I think, which will be very, I think, or there's some inflation number coming out this week, um, which will be very important, uh, or next week, whenever, in, in the US. And that will be very important to see whether the trend is still going in the right way. But, you know, so far, it looks as though we're at the peak of interest rates, the peak of dollar strength, and the dollar might be weakening now. And we'll see a rise in commodity prices and interest rate cuts and some sort of revival in global growth and revival in general commodity prices and strengthening of the rand over the next two to three years. Yeah, look so at that, that rand. all seems reasonably well in place. Yes, it wasn't that long ago that the rand was approaching 1950 again, and here we are approaching 1850 now. And as I said, that euro dollar, yeah. it's backed off a bit now, but it was 110. And the sensitivity, as I said, to dollar-based commodities and asset classes is terribly, terribly important. And when there were two Fed governors, mm. I think, came out in the last 24 hours and have said, yeah, you know what, we're happy with interest rates uh, at this level. And, you know, obviously implying that the yeah. next move will be down. And these two chaps were hawks who had been advocates of the, yes. the interest rates going up. So I think the market said, thank you very much. And that's why the dollar sold off. Yes. And of course, you've got the, you've got the whole, they are all, no one knows the future. So they're also all reactive to data that comes out. But what is happening now, I mean, it's not as though you and I have been discussing something that is, uh, you know, abnormal or not in the normal course of events. What's happening now is entirely normal for a commodity stroke, interest rate stroke inflationary cycle there's nothing abnormal about what's happening now people sometimes when it happens thinks that think that this is wow this is weird why is the rand collapsing around our ears why are the commodity shares halving and halving again why are all the platinum companies running out of money and doing retrenchments and closing shafts and raising big debt and 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 restructuring 
it's entirely normal for this stage of the cycle. It just happens to be the bad stage of the cycle, obviously. But if everything in the future reoccurs as it has every other cycle, then the next two or three years we'll be going into the good part of the cycle where exactly the opposite happens. You know, the RAND strengthens, commodity shares go up, uh, the dollar weakens, commodity prices go up, and South African growth rate goes up. We just hope that we can get our act together and be able to export because, you know, the whole transnet disaster is really in your face right now. I mean, I heard a statistic that over the last 10 years, the number of passengers carried by transnet, so this is not Prasa, not the Passenger Rail Association, it's, in other words, between cities, long distance, has fallen by 98% in the last 10 years. This was a transnet or government spokesperson. I mean, it's a catastrophe. But the point I want to make is the last massive commodity cycle we saw, you know, the China years, yes. there was also rail constraints there. Now. We didn't export as much as what we could have. You know, Sishin, Iron Ore, Kumba could have, mined more iron ore and got it to the port if the port or the rail could actually handle it. So we also lost out volume-wise in the biggest commodity upcycle in our lifetimes, you know, the, the true China years. And, you know, now we're losing out again. I mean, I hear frightening statistics. I don't believe it, by the way, because it's just numbers are just too big. That Eskom and Transnet combined, you know, cost the South African economy 4% of GDP. Now, I think that's an, a massive figure. You know, maybe the figure's 2%, but 2% is still huge when you're only growing at 1%. Yes. Yeah, it is. And I mean, just to embellish what you've just said, I mean, today, uh, Pepco came out. Okay, it's not, a, it's not a minor, but it still uses ports. And it says, Pepco says South Africa's port woes affecting retail stock imports. Yes. I mean, and, and yeah, at this time of the year, well, in the run-up to this time of year, that's, that's a death knell for them because it's the busiest yeah. well, time. Look there's, look, there's 60 ships just hanging out outside Durban Harbour. Hmm. You know, they've got, if, if no new ships arrive, apparently it'll take them three to four months to clear the backlog of the ships that are already there. And Maersk, and I'm sure other people as well, are now saying, hey, if you're sending cargo to Durban, we're going to charge you more because our ship's going to sit there and the whole crew's going to pick their nose for a couple of weeks before they can, can get into the port. Yeah. You know, so there's already a surcharge being charged if you're sending stuff to Durban. Look, the retailers can get the stock in. They just might have to fly it in, which, of course, is very expensive. But they, they can still get it. And, you know, the wonderful thing about the capitalistic system is when it's faced with a problem it makes a plan and it normally makes a plan quite quickly you know not like the government and in <laughs> fact the, the thing that and i'm i, I wouldn't say i'm going to be controversial now, but the thing Please that annoys be. me about the government okay the thing that annoys me about the government is that all of these woes we had when you hear a government spokesperson it's as though someone else caused these problems and now they've got to sort it out uh, it was a legacy issue, in other words. You know, yeah, yeah. And to me, it's astonishing that, you know, that, that it's not as though they're saying it as a bit of a PR spin. They, I think they almost believe that, you know, these problems that we beset with are now all of a sudden thrust onto us and we've got to try and sort it out. 
And then the, the other thing that annoyed me, I must say, when our state president says we mustn't badmouth South Africa, you know, all the negative comments and all of these things. And I agree with him. We mustn't badmouth South Africa. But where I differ is that we're not bad mad, we're not bad mouthing South Africa. We're bad mouthing the ANC government. Yes. Yeah, it's not that's not South Africa. So all the negative talk is not about South Africa, it's about the ANC government. And it annoys me where he thinks people are being negative about South Africa and bad mouthing South Africa. It's not we bad mouthing his own government because of their inadequacies and their inefficiencies and their handling of the whole country for the last you they didn't handle the country badly for 30 years so i don't want to state i don't want to say that at all in fact they handled the economy incredibly well for the first 20 years of democracy in fact they they would they would literally if they were if they were evaluated on the economic management of the country for the first 20 years they'll probably get five stars for it because to be honest they did an incredibly good job trevor manuel they did an incredibly good job. Admittedly, they had the wind in their sails because of the huge commodity boom. But even when the wind was against them in the 90s, you know, they freed up the exchange rate. They canceled the financial rand. They restructured the economy actually quite significantly. They allowed our companies to go overseas. It was fantastic management. And then, of course, during the China years, I mean, our national debt to GDP got down to 21% or 22% of GDP. One what, of the lowest in the world. What is it now? Over 50%? Well, no, it's 80%. Oh, my goodness. So, so you, can, you can only really say the government started mismanaging the economy and really doing, uh, well, not just mismanaging the economy, mismanaging the country. So that's healthcare, roads, rail, ESCOM, Throw it all in there, Denel, SAA, just throw them all in there, all in the pot, since probably 2012, 2013. And admittedly, they were, they did it during a very bad, they had a very tough time during a commodity down cycle, but they've also had an up cycle and now another down cycle. But I don't think you can fairly and honestly, even the government itself can fairly and honestly say, they did an adequate job for the last 10 or 12 years. You know, you just cannot say that. And, uh, yeah, and yeah, we sit. Here we sit. Yeah, well, it's taking a long time to get... I wonder when they say, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with issues that we inherited. I wonder if they're talking about Zuma or if they're talking about the previous national yeah. government or something. But it, I well, think look, it must it depends, be Zuma. It depends on who you talk to. Yeah. Now, they're talking about Zuma, but it's their own government. I mean, the, the, the current president was the vice president. The current president was the head of the ANC's, uh, what's that thing, the Cadre Redeployment Committee. That is the biggest disaster that ever hit South Africa was that committee uh, and, uh, and the appointments that that cadre redeployment committee made. I mean, that is the biggest single reason why we are where we are now. Now, whether his hands were tied or not, and whether I think the DA has asked legally for those minutes of those meetings to be made public, I think, uh, I seem to recall something like that, but... The catastrophes that we sit in in so many places in South Africa, and I'm not saying South Africa is a catastrophe or a basket case or a failed state, because I think we're a long way from it, but we are certain in the last 13 years heading in that direction. 
you know, you can literally lay the blame at the foot of that redeployment committee where they put inadequate, incompetent, unqualified and corrupt people in charge of major areas of the economy. And, and no one can deny that, even the own government, even, our, even the government now can't deny that. Because the first thing the current state president did was essentially get rid of all the people that that committee appointed in all the SOEs and in cabinet, in government, you know. So, but I do agree with you. It's almost as though the ANC, sometimes when they talk, uh, seem to think that they inherited this problem from someone else. Someone else caused all of these issues that they're trying to sort it out now. And the last comment I'll actually make okay. is that I listened to the minister this morning driving in, driving to my garage. I listened to the minister. Now, I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember which minister it was. I, I just can't recall. But what I did, and it's the it's what's called the big interview. It's on 702, and it goes on for probably... 12, 15 minutes every morning just after 7. They have this, they call it the big interview. Yes. And I often do this. You count how many times they said we have a challenge, how many times this minister said we have a challenge. <laughs> and I think it was 37 times in this interview he mentioned, yes, we have this challenge. Yes, it's a challenging environment. Yes, we've got a challenge in this organization and a challenge in that organization. So, you know, they, and I, I have great empathy for our state president in particular because everything he looks at is a disaster. Yeah, and it uh, doesn't seem to be getting any better. Just keeps to be seems to keep on piling up the problems. I'm just going to read you one thing because you did mention debt to GDP in South Africa, which was in the twenties with Manuel and, uh, and and the team at the helm, and now in the around about eighty. It says here South Africa Central Bank has warned that systemic risk to the country's financial stability has remained elevated, notably due to the government's increasing debt levels and debt servicing costs, as well as the impact of being put on a grey list. The South African Reserve Bank said in its biannual health check on Wednesday today that the risk has remained elevated since the release of yeah. the May report, and then they go on to that. So, I mean, this is a little bit retrospective, and, and maybe with interest rates coming down, the debt uh, servicing levels will come down as well. It will come down. But on, yeah, exactly. But uh, still, they're out there, and they're watching it for us. Now, corporate stuff, please, Wayne. Process and Aspes came out with their results today. And yes. the thing that really interested me was Naspers saying that their e-commerce business is nearing break-even. It's taken a while, isn't it? Yes. Yes, but a lot shorter than what they thought a couple of years ago. Remember, I think it's two or three years ago, uh, NASPAS management decided we've got, well, make it longer, five years ago, whatever. They said, we've got to unlock this discount. Mm. <laughs> and they tried many things, listing of process and buying back the shares. But eventually they realized the only way you unlock this discount is all these other businesses we've got except 10 cent must now make a profit and make a profit as quickly as possible. Now, you can see the share prices. They're back essentially at previous highs, eh? Yeah, that's they've terrific come run. up a very long way. Uh, they've, they've had a terrific run, a huge run. And part of it, if not most of that run, is in fact this extreme drive to show make profits now. It's not just previously, it was just 
Let's get turnover. Let's just get volume. Let's get turnover. Let's buy anyone who's going, who's for sale at any price, and let's corner the market and get turnover, and we'll worry about profits after that, later. We'll worry about profits later. And they changed that, oh, she's, I can't remember, three years ago, and, and they started saying, we're now going for profits. And like OLX, which is their big e-commerce story, they just closed OLX Auto, because they said, we're never going to make money out of this. So they just closed it. And now they say we're going to actually start making profits earlier. Uh, and as far as I can read, look, their, their report was very messy. Eh? Continued operations, discontinued operations, core earnings. But their core earnings was fantastic. But you can't just look at core, core earnings growth because they got other earnings where they're still making losses and they're trying to sell it. And there's a problem here and a problem there. So it's very difficult to actually go in and truly analyze the results per se. They have, by the way, got very much better at reporting their results, significantly better. But it's still a, a, a complex machine that you're looking at there with NASPERS and process. But it's extremely good news that they're going to become positive on on a lot of them. Look, the big one still outstanding is food delivery. They're very positive about food, but they're always very positive. Uh, they say, you know, we're getting good margin, we're getting turnover growth, et cetera, et cetera. So it looks as though they are now firmly in this drive to not just, you know, almost almost do the dot-com thing where you just grow at any cost. Now they're firmly in the seat we're going to make a seat of, we're going to make profits now. Good. It's a bold statement. And uh, after many years, as you said, of trying to unlock the discount, it may be starting to work. Now, the other thing that's bullish for the markets for 2024 and this is not really your sector, but I've just I've seen two Bloomberg articles in the last two days, both of which highlighting how many companies are suddenly saying, right, the worst is over, we're going to list. I think there's half a dozen really quite high-profile companies that you might know without them being listed that are going to list on the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. Because it, I don't know if you know, but for between 2020 up until now, there's been hardly anything going on, uh, Wayne, for good reason. But now suddenly there's this yeah. pent-up demand for new listings. And it seems as though if markets stay relatively well-behaved, that January will kick that process off, which is always a good sign, I think. Yeah, it's always a good sign. Look, they might still be listing too soon because, you know, markets do well in a falling interest rate environment. But yes, it's a very good sign that there's new listings coming. Excellent. It's a very good sign. Okay. Wayne, and we've mentioned in uh, around about two weeks ago, I think it was, about uh, the choice for Christmas lunch. And you're having, was that a rack of lamb you're having? Was that a rack, rack of, of lamb? Mm. Rack of lamb and gammon. Oh, and yes. roast potatoes and some vegetables and rice with lovely gravy with a little bit of brandy in it and mm. uh, nice sautéed uh, onions with it. And yeah, and I'm already feeling hungry now. Christmas lunch is still quite a long way away. Yeah, it's four weeks away. But anyway, you know, you're always hungry. You're like a tapeworm. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Anyway, exactly. Well, I've, I've decided mine now. Through an associate, I've hunted down a hunter. And it's hunting season in, in this part of the world. And it's, it's a, sort of a rural area that I inhabit. And I said, listen, I need a goose. And he says, well, it's, um, I shoot wild geese. And if I, can, if I can pop you one, would you be interested? And I said, yes, of course. So he's going out. 
in his camouflage gear with his gun and over the next two to three weeks he's going to try and bag me a goose and he's got little he's got an abattoir which he goes to and it's all be prepared for me and everything it'll have the giblets in it and all that sort of thing and so i can make delicious gravy and then I, you put it in the oven wayne and you and you prick it and the put the potatoes in the tray underneath there yes and the fat it drips down into the roast potatoes and uh, goose fat potatoes are like no other the potato you've ever had so i've sorted myself out and i've got a backup for a, a large duck if the goose doesn't arrive yeah. and i don't wish any any ill will to the goose i don't, don't want it to be flying around and then yeah. suddenly get blasted out the sky but that's that's the nature of, of meat eating yeah yes if you if you if you're a carnivore then you know that's what it is but now on duck, I absolutely I love duck, oh, yeah. but I'm always very wary of ordering duck in a restaurant. Why? You know the the, the classic roast duck, because I, I have had some truly spectacular roast ducks before. Le Canard was a restaurant where the McDonald's is now, or where the Sino, the well on Ravonia Road there was a restaurant called Le Canard. I used to go there because duck. it had an association with Classic FM and I used to host their business show yes. and it was one of well, the Liberty well, well, Liberty yes, Life family was, that owned it. Yeah. Yes, it it it, it was Wendy Applebaum. That's it was her Donald yes. Gordon's daughter mm. and her husband started Classic FM. Mm. Yeah. If I remember. And they when you went and had duck there, it was astonishingly good. But unfortunately, I've had duck in a few places that where it was not good. You know, no. you've got to render that fat. You've got to get the skin crispy. You've got to know how to cook a duck properly. And when it's properly done, it is too delicious for words. But I've been to a few restaurants now over the years where I saw duck in the menu. And I said, oh, I've got to have it. And been extremely disappointed. So now when I have duck, it's normally a, a duck curry. You know, it's not a, a roast duck. Okay, well, I've never had duck curry, but I do remember Wendy Applebaum because, we, you know, we got to know each other through Classic FM. And uh, we, yep. got, we got on very well. I must admit, I've never heard a woman swear so much. And she's also very unusual. She owns, I think the family owns vineyards as well. And she used to play classical music between the vines. You know, she was convinced that this helped uh, help the growth. But she was a swearer, which I like. And also, I would go there and have steak tartare to start and then the duck afterwards, which is why, of course, it's called Le Canard, which is French for duck. So, yes. yes. Or duck. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, look, that was a fun night. It was such a nice restaurant, that. I know. And then I remember, ooh, when was this now? Sort of mid-90s, when sort of the center of Joburg started to deteriorate. The Rand Club opened up like a little branch on the same property where there was a little library reading room where, you know, where the guys who didn't want to go into town to the main Rand Club could sort of get together at this little sub subunit of the Rand Club right on the property with uh, Le Canard. Very good. No, that was a fantastic restaurant. It was a nice setup there. I went there a couple of times where they had vin where they had uh, 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 wine farms up from the Cape giving the whole story about their farms, you know, a little bit of a wine tasting with different um, little snacks, little meals to go with the different wines. Now, it was a very nice place, that it really was. Yeah, those were the days. All gone now, of course. Wayne, I'm I'm hungry. I have to have a snack before my next uh, podcast, so I'm going to let you go. Thank you very much for your time, as always. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FNB Wealth and Investment, and that was Wayne on Wednesday. 
The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.